Welcome to The Draft Board, where hosts David Song and Tyson Workington tackle the topics that you want to hear. From the rink, to the turf, to the court, anything and everything, this is The Draft Board. All right, ladies and gentlemen, sports fans, welcome back to The Draft Board podcast. My name is David Song, and normally I'd introduce my good buddy, my best, well, one of my closest friends, Tyson Workington, but uh, he actually couldn't make it on today's episode which is a very special episode because who I have with me instead is Avery Dovsik, a college golfer from New York State. Well, born in California. She's in New York now. She, yeah, like I said, she plays college golf. She hosts her own podcast, the Why You Suck at Golf podcast. You can check that out on, on iTunes and wherever you get wherever you get podcasts, she's had Gary Player, Justin Rose, guys like that on there. So if you're a golf fan, definitely check her stuff out. And she's also, you know, she freelances. She has on-camera experience. She's done a lot of different things with different companies, including Golf Week, which if, if you listeners remember me introducing myself on episode one back in March, Golf Week was the internship I landed uh, last fall. And so that's how I met Avery. And I decided, hey, you know, here on the draft board, we, we do football, basketball, and my goodness, I almost forgot hockey. How could I do that? But, you know, we, we really wanted to, to show you guys that we want, we can branch out as well. And so I thought, hey, what better way to do that than to, than to do a, a golf special? And that's what this is. This is our golf special for the, the time being. And Avery, thank you for, for joining me today. How are you? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I am great. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I've had a, I had a really good weekend enjoying the, the nice weather, kind of being with my friends and yeah, obviously looking forward to this conversation we're, we're about to have, you know, I just think that over the, over my time in golf week last, uh, last fall, when we were working together a little bit, uh, I learned a lot. In fact, I went from zero, literally ground zero to actually having a, a, a light working knowledge of of golf and at least a very basic conception of who the big stars are and you know a few of the a few of the rising stars as well and I also I mean I also keep an eye on just as I kind of do with every sport some of the the more niche players or the the rising stars like um Sierra Brooks on the Symmetra Tour for example is uh someone who I I read about when I was working golf week and she really caught my eye as uh you know as a great golfer you know charming young woman and we hope that she has a you know, she makes it to the LPGA and, and really brings a new generation of talent into, in, into there. But maybe just to start, Avery, you can tell the folks a bit about yourself. Like, where are you from? How did you get into golf? And how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, so like you mentioned, I'm originally from Southern Orange County, California. Um, growing up, I am now five foot ten. I played volleyball for the majority of my life. And was actually forced into golf by my father uh, against my will. He'd make me practice twice a day, every day in hopes to land a scholarship to university. So it was never something I loved in the beginning. In fact, I really resented my father. Um, and he even said to me once, like, I'm never going to come watch you unless you make varsity freshman year. So I made varsity freshman year of high school, went on to be MVP, team captain, eventually started liking it because when you get good at something, um, you begin to like it. And then being surrounded by actual girls instead of just me and my father at the range um, definitely made it a bit more appealing. From there, I got a scholarship to attend Hofstra University and play on the women's division one golf team. Been a great experience so far. After my 
in the middle of my freshman year, I got the opportunity to work for CBS Sports at the PGA Championship, um, went down to Golf Channel, uh, NBC down in Orlando, Florida, lived there for a couple months, worked for them. Following that, a couple articles had gotten written about me, about my show reels. And from there, Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio picked me up. I became a co-host on a show every Wednesday night with them, even through the pandemic. Um, let's see, where are we? <laughs> I continued working for CBS Sports in the studio for NFL stuff. And then Golf Week found me. And I hosted a show with Golf Week in last summer during the pandemic with four NFL kickers. It was a golf talent type show. Really interesting to host because the internet connection wasn't great. <laughs> so they'd hit shots and I'd have no clue where it was going. And so that definitely challenged me a bit. From there, I went to work with Golf Week and I am now a content contributor and I host a fitness series with them. And uh, as well as that, I started the podcast and now I'm going to be doing some work with the PGA Tour um, Scratch this summer. So lots going on. Big resume for a 21 year old and it just keeps growing. Well, you know what? It's uh, it's a heck of a lot bigger than mine, but, you know, congratulations. It's, it's really awesome to, to, you know, to hear you pursuing all these opportunities and being able to land them early on in your career as well. And, you know, I'm sure that these are formative experiences that you enjoyed a lot and that you yeah. have also found really, really helpful in your development. So I, I just to, just to go back to what you said, so what, so your dad made you play golf because ostensibly for the sake of a, a birth on a varsity team and a scholarship, but he, what, didn't think that you could do that in volleyball. So I'm not six feet tall and you're, you're not I, far off. No, but I was an outside hitter and he thought I wanted to stay in California. And if you look at most California teams, um, you need to kind of be over six feet tall. Most people are over six feet tall and it's way more competitive to land a scholarship. There are way more girls playing volleyball than golf. Mm -hmm. So financially we didn't plan for college like we should have and, you know, got a little fire under us and, golf seemed like a good way and you know a good atmosphere to be brought up in country clubs you know um good people good connections and now I couldn't agree more back then uh, absolutely not I wanted to die <laughs> <laughs> well I mean it, it sounds like we had a you know in a manner of speaking a somewhat similar progression because uh, folks full disclosure I was not thrilled to be hearing that I was going to intern with golf week last year I was like I'm here because I want to be a sports journalist and it golf isn't a real sport. Is it? It's some game for old, old white guys. Oh, and they're, they're also all, they're also all rich. And basically one, the first thing I want to talk about on the show today is the fact that a, a lot of what I just said are myths. And I really learned that over the course of my internship. And I, I've come to realize that golf, especially these days, it's, it's far more diverse than, than I thought it was going to be going in like the LPGA tour, the Symmetra tour has really been bringing women into the game and gaining a lot of steam. And so, you know, people like you, you found girls to play with. I think one of my favorite articles I wrote for golf week last fall was about two sisters named Sarah and Elsa Diaz, uh, immigrants from Mexico who came to the, came back to the States and they didn't know any English and this organization called the first tee, which far from being an elite club was this organization that is meant to help, kids uh learn the game of golf but also to develop skills like public speaking and just getting better in school and 
you know, I was like, oh, wow, golf is actually something, you know, a sport that just like any other sport can lend itself to these type of community uh, initiatives that really benefit people, regardless of how rich you are, or what's your background, or whether or not you ever come close to, to turning pro. So with that said, maybe we can get into our, our first question that, you know, what would you say, just simply and authentically to someone who thinks, who thinks that, you know, golf is not a real sport, it's this easy game? They must suck at golf. Uh, anyone who has actually went to the range, played around a golf, uh, knows that it's really difficult. And if they haven't surrounded themselves by it and by the sport and haven't seen some of the power athletes that have now come into it and what they're doing behind the scenes to work at it and produce those results. Um, I would say that's a response that is uneducated and quite frankly, just plain stupid. Yeah. I would like to see them hit a couple golf balls before, uh, and reassess their answer. <laughs> I mean, the first time I tried to hit a golf ball, I whiffed clean. And then I whiffed about four more times. And I was like, why is this hard? I wasn't exactly expecting to drive it 350 yards, but I'm like, why is making contact hard? And I think that was a point where I was like, okay, like there might be a little more to this. And this was actually a couple years before golf week. We were just kind of playing around at, uh, at the, the Bible camp I, I work at. And so that was kind of my first sign. Like, okay, maybe there's more to this than meets the eye. And then, uh, Lo and behold, there was. So I think though from a, from a sport aspect and particularly a, a spectator sport aspect, you know, golf is obviously much more slower paced than something like hockey or basketball or, or even football. And, and I think that's something that would confuse and turn off a lot of uh, non-golf fans because they're like, that's like, you know, I think it's the, the impression of this is slow. They're not running around or hitting anybody or jumping high. And so this is, quote unquote, not a real sport. So in response to that, you know, you said you not only are you a, excuse me, not only are you a, a competitive college golfer, but you also do a fitness series with golf week that's related to golf. So can you tell us a bit about uh, what are some of the things that go into your training regimen and how do those things translate to golf skills? Yeah, well, going back to what you said, you know, one thing again is, yes, golf is a slower sport. Uh, but carrying a 40 pound bag on your back for four or five days, walking, you know, 20,000 steps a day. Plus, you know, it takes a lot out of you, not to mention golf is full of movements developed from other sports. So, you know, when you rotate, um, through the ball, you could mimic that as, you know, pushing off the blocks at a track meet or shot, putting a ball at a track meet, or, you know, if you're going to punch someone, you need to lean and transfer your weight. There's a lot of similarities, um, in the golf swing as other sports. So that's what makes it kind of unique is people assume they'd be good at it because they, you know, it's a similar motion to some other sports, but it's, also not only physically challenging because the spine on the human is not made to rotate like that. It kind of goes against that. And then the mental aspect of it. So going into the fitness series, getting into the sport, since I've been tall, I was always a long hitter. Um, one of my like simple pleasures is out driving like old men. When I was younger, I'd be like in seventh, eighth grade and like bombing it. And they'd be like, what? Uh, fast forward to now where strength training is a huge part of my life. I train it at least six days a week. I never really have a full off day. I'm always doing something, probably not the best, but even my off days have a little bit of cardio in it or always getting the heart rate up. So when they asked me to do this fitness series, I was over the moon because I really wanted to 
tell golfers and non-golfers that there is so much that goes into the swing that can be done outside of the golf course. So the first set of fitness videos, I kept it very basic stuff. You can all do at home, some band work, some very simple tips. Um, the second set, I advanced a little more. We got some dumbbells in there. We worked on different muscles and the third set will be even a little bit more advanced and, um, you know, even kicking up some nutrition stuff. Yeah. So as far as distance goes, if you want distance, I hate to say it, but your strength is going to be the biggest contributor to your swing speed and how you make contact with the ball. So absolutely fitness plays a huge role. What about the the other finer aspects of the golf game? Then, yeah, I think that if uh, if a casual observer were to watch a drive off the tee, particularly with a driver, then they they can see, okay, yeah, that there was power involved in there and, and explosiveness, and that thing flew a, a fair distance. Or in terms of, or, or in Bryson's DeChambeau's case, a ridiculous distance. We're going to talk about Bryson later on the show. But what about? things like, you know, iron play, where it's like you have to lay off and you have to make that second, third shot to get within range of your putt. And then, of course, the putt itself, which is incredibly precise. Obviously, it's not about power at that point. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a competitive golfer, how do you train to make sure those parts of your game are on point? Yeah, so golf is like 60% mental, I'd say. Our brains are wired to do some incredible things. Um, you know, anybody who doesn't really believe in mental health, like go play golf because it, even reading a putt, your mind calculates slope distance. You know, it does it just automatically. It sees it. It's it converts what your eyes see and now makes it a thought. Um, so same thing with irons. Like, you know, you have a distance, let's say you have 150 into the green. So not only do you say, okay, I have 150. Now your brain has to think, okay, what club am I choosing? Is there wind? What kind of shot am I going to hit? Am I going to try to hit this straight or am I going to pray to the golf gods that it goes straight? Um, you know, depending how advanced you are, but your brain is making so many conversions all at once. And it is so smart. You know, golf is a game of mistakes, honestly. <laughs> I mean, those, you know, you, you're constantly scrambling to fix mistakes. And very rarely does the amateur golfer go out and play a perfect round. I mean, you don't hear it. There's always stuff that is not expected. Um, a putt that doesn't break the way you want it to break. Um, for example, I am a really good ball striker. COVID put me out of the competitive game for a while. There was no tournaments, no anything. So when I go to championships this year, we didn't play competitive golf really at all before that. So I'm going from March 2020 was my last round. Fast forward to April 2021. I hit 16 greens in regulation. That means you get on and you expect a two putt to make par. So that's mm -hmm. very good. Uh, 16 out of 18 greens is really good. Your ball striking's almost perfect. I had 13 three putts. I was missing six inch putts, oh, four wow. inch putts, five, five inch putts. I was missing one footers. It was horrible. So that, and that's not like I'm incapable of making putts. That is so mental. I can make a thousand of those on the practice screen. A thousand. I would not miss putts the small. Um, but in a tournament play, I mean, that really tests your mental game. So when you see a lot of recreational golfers shooting really low, that's great. But I would love to see them in a tournament setting. Mm. And that's what makes professional players so good. 
And that reminds me of uh, the golf tournaments that I have watched uh, over the course of the past year. I mean, honestly, that internship did wonders. I'm actually able to watch a final round of golf and uh, and not be bored sometimes. I'm like, huh, like this is this is this is actually kind of cool. This is definitely not the worst. But I found myself as, again, a very new person to this sport in general. I've been to a driving range once ever. And uh, you know what? I'll take my 120 yards uh, with a driver and, uh, and I'm just gonna, I'll be proud of that. But no, um, I've seen a lot of professional golfers get to within what I assumed must have been point blank range for a putt, like mm -hmm. six inches or less, like you said, and somehow they're just not able to put it in. And you're like, wait, what, why it was so close. And then all of a sudden, when I look at the leaderboard, it's like, oh shoot, he just gave up a shot on that. And the guy behind him just maybe birdie. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, a miss on a six inch putt suddenly puts you in a bad spot and it gives your rival a chance to catch you. So you yeah, missed thousands that, of dollars. That putt is essentially thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, is this, is this one of the reasons why uh, lovers of golf such as yourself, I mean, you really appreciate this sport is that even though, you know, it may, it may be slow. You know, on television, it may take a lot longer than other sports to, to conclude. But when you love the game and you understand the game, the reason why it holds your interest, even as a spectator, is it at least in part because these these little intricacies and these that, that you understand that you know, maybe others don't. There's a saying like, I hate golf. I suck at golf. I can't wait to play tomorrow. Um, that rings so true because <laughs> you will have like five bad shots, let's say in a row. And you'll just like, you're this close to snapping your club, you know, but then you have one good shot and it like reels you in. Uh, so that's horrible. Uh, I mean, it's a great sport, but it's also the worst sport. <laughs> when I started getting good at the sport, I had aspirations of going pro and women's golf is very different than men's. And now I don't want to do that. Like I would love to do long drive because that interests me. The atmosphere is fun. It's grandstands, music, people, you know, that really interests me. But as far as putting myself through essentially a week of mental hell mm -hmm. doesn't pique my interest anymore. I mean, girls, the money is not as high as guys, you know, entry fees are expensive. You know, if you're not sponsored in the every right, which way it's an expensive week for you. And then if you miss a cut, you're going home. Um, that's really mentally hard. And I put myself through enough mental, mentally hard things. So yeah, I mean, it doesn't pique my interest as it used to. If I was a guy, I think I'd really try to go pro though. Mm. Well, why is that? Is it because of the money? Is it because of the economic side? Um, yeah, it's hard to make, like, there's a lot more competition on the men's side, but if you are, you know, even the top 100, top 200, you're still making a pretty good living. Yeah, I just, I, I see it, it draws more people on the men's side. Um, you know, it's more of an event. I don't know. That's just my opinion. Not to say that professional women's golf, I admire completely, but I don't think it's something I have in me, quite frankly. Fair enough. And I mean, it's certainly good to, to come to this realization now, as opposed to six years down the road, you're in your late twenties and you have if you haven't made it yet, then it's like, crap, what do I do now? So so, yeah, well, certainly. I, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I also love, you know, being now in broadcast golf as a journalist. I love that. You know, I'm essentially flying or will hope to be flying to all the same tournaments, staying at the same hotels, living that lifestyle without putting myself through the mental stressors. 
obviously my paycheck won't be as high as probably the winner. Uh, but maybe I'll save a few years of my life. <laughs> mentally. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, like quality of life considerations do come into play here, but yeah. yeah. So, so earlier you, you mentioned uh, long drive, that maybe is something that you're, you're interested in, in doing. You said that, you know, you have always been a, you've always been a, a good hitter, a deep hitter, your long frame helps you with that. Before the show, we were also talking about how you've gotten into lean bodybuilding uh, recently. And, and that's why you do a lot of strength training and watch your diet very carefully. But from an athletic standpoint, you know, I think, again, comes Bryson DeChambeau again, you know, what? at this point, I might as well just tell people who that is. He's six one, like probably 235 pounds, looks like a linebacker he's like probably like he's like the golfer that if you ever saw you would assume he probably plays a different sport or just straight up lifts weights for a living um but obviously most golfers don't look like him right i think particularly on the on on the women's side you know they're not they don't look like WNBA players they definitely don't look like crossfitters but and yet you know there's still there's still power involved there's still athleticism involved and so for someone like you who you know you're a taller golfer and you are very familiar with strength training, both for golf and for an entirely different sport. How does that bodybuilding side, developing your muscles in that way, does that help you play golf? Does that actually hinder you in some ways? Yeah, no, it's it's a tricky thing because, so bodybuilding, like a big part of it is the diet. So if you're in a deficit, your energy levels are pretty low. Um, if you're in a significant one and you're close to a show date, so your energy gets really low. So playing even an 18 hole round of golf walking can seem like the hardest thing on earth. Um, if your calories are really low. So it's really important to fuel your body for not only your strength training, but for golf, um, because that will affect the way you play. That's something I learned the hard way this last season, as I was trying to, you know, thinking about, okay, I'll start dieting down for a competition. And it's like the 12th hole. And I'm like, I'm starving. And then my plate kind of declined. But as far as the weightlifting part of it, I, let's see, freshman year of college, I was probably like 230, 240 on average yards. Um, You know, that's pretty good still, but that's nothing crazy. Now I've hit 300 yards a couple of times. And I'm just now starting to train for long drive. So I think in the beginning, um, I never really took a large bucket of balls and hit 60 drives straight. Um, I thought I'd get fatigued, but in opposite, I actually got faster. So then I'm realizing I'm swinging pretty fast. I was getting up 110, 111. I'm like, okay, miles an hour. This is pretty fast. This is like long drive professional hitters are like 115. And I'm not even training for this. So that's what kind of put the idea in my head is like, all right, I'm already doing the right stuff in the gym. Now, if I learn how to use the ground in my golf swing, we could be pretty competitive here. Women's long drive isn't the biggest thing on earth. You know, men's is getting bigger with Kyle Berkshire up there. And, you know, now we see on the PGA tour, like you mentioned, Bryson, he's hitting it far. Now it's catching people's eyes, but yeah, I mean, weightlifting has improved my swing speed immensely. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see how you're able to continue to develop uh, in that field. And certainly uh, I look forward to seeing where you go and uh, you know, definitely good luck there. But I think that this is a, a great place to transition into Bryson DeChambeau uh, full on. And like I said before, folks, he looks like a linebacker these days. He is he's a big man. He's broad. His shoulders are thick. And he didn't used to look that way. Like in, in 2018, 2019, he was 
maybe 180, 190 pounds. And he looked like most other golfers that, that you see on, on the course. And essentially he decided that he was going to overhaul his body right, and go from, essentially go from uh, a Chevy S10 to a Mack truck semi. And that's what he did in about, I believe it was, was, was eight months. Like he went from 195 to 225 and he's bigger, he's bigger than that now. And when you were talking about driving distance earlier uh, in 2019, he was tied for 34th at an average of 302 and a half yards per, per stroke. 2020, that went up at three, right up to uh, 322 yards. And at, you know, it's particularly at wing foot uh, last year where he destroyed the US Open he's capable of 400 yards, like, like sometimes on some of the long par fives with balls. I think club speed, like well over 190 miles an hour or something like that. So very, very different, obviously polarizing because in any sport, when someone is that different, they're going to be polarizing. So can I just get your, your initial thoughts on, on Bryson and what he's doing for golf? Well, my initial thoughts, when I first saw him out of the pandemic, I was like, Whoa, someone's been eating good. Um, that was my first thought because the way it was presented and I love Bryson. I'm a huge fan of Bryson. I have nothing bad to say about Bryson, but at first glance, the way it was pre like presented, knowing what I know about muscle building and nutrition and stuff, it looked like he had just gained weight. Now, if months have gone, gone on, he still have like maintained that same frame, but he actually looks a bit leaner. Um, he still looks really strong, but he does look a bit leaner and his distances, um, definitely show for that. I'm not sure if that weight gain was part of the whole plan at first, if it was to get really big, to hit really far or to try to put on muscle and not gain weight. Not quite sure where or who the goal was coming out. Cause I don't, I think there's a way to put on lean body mass instead of, you know, a lot of weight. Um, it's impossible to gain 25 pounds of muscle in eight months. <laughs> so, no, but as far as driving, he is now making golf look like a sport to people. He is now opening up the door um, and making young people, especially young men, want to get out and try the sport because, damn, like he he's hitting it hard. You know, a lot of baseball players are now looking at him like, oh, I could do that. You know, then they slice it. But, you know, what's well, a different yes. topic. <laughs> but, yeah, he's he makes the he is taking what nobody has ever done before and making it so appealing to the eye. I mean, I fully agree with that. And it, it kind of reminds me of what I've, what I've heard about, like, I was obviously not into golf when Tiger Woods was in his prime, but what, from what I've heard about Tiger Woods now, looking back, he, right. He revolutionized golf by, you know, by being a, a serious athlete and not only having the endorsement deals, but working on his body, working on his game, game and training so hard and so seriously. And his results obviously showed that, that it, it, brought golf to the next level. And it seems like Bryson's kind of doing that in a different way with his new approach. And, you know, certainly it's something that got me, I mean, like I'm a young man, it certainly got made me a little bit more interested in golf and in him. Cause I'm like, you know, as a guy who like, I like, like, again, I'm not the biggest baseball fan, but one of my favorite parts of watching baseball is watching like a guy like Aaron judge, like one of my favorite players hit a bomb of a home run, you know, yeah. to dead center or, or to wherever it is. And, Bryson's golf swing off the tee is reminiscent of that. And it's like, wow, that flew. That was a lot of power. And I'm like, I, I think you're right. It's like, oh, like for a lot of guys, like, oh, cool, you know, measurables, strength, you know, yeah. that really popped off the, you know, that really popped off the screen. And, um, but obviously, 
Bryson's not without his haters, uh, as you know. And I'm gonna read you a tea, uh, sorry, a take that I that I came across while I was working for uh, for Golf Week, and I think that this is a a very bad take. I'm sure you would agree. Justin Thomas agrees that it is a bad take. But the last year, uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, another pro golfer, uh, basically said. It's not a skill to hit the ball a long way. In my opinion, I could put on 40 pounds. I could gain 40 yards. That's a fact. And Bryson is taking the skill out of it, in my opinion. And I remember reading that as an intern and be like, I'm just an intern. My job here is just to like copy edit this article and pass it along so it can be published. But I had so many, I had so many thoughts about that. And I echo what Justin Thomas said in a later interview that I found is that that's laughable because in, you know, in my opinion, Bryson DeChambeau isn't doing anything different from any other pro athlete who's trying to gain an advantage in the, in the game. Like you can't say that, oh, you know, just because, you know, DK Metcalf doesn't have any football skills because he's freakishly fast and strong and he puts in the work to maintain his physique or, you know, Aaron Judge at 6'7", 280 is not a real baseball player because a quote unquote, a real baseball player can hit bomb home runs at 200 pounds like whatever right like every like I think that's an absurd line of reasoning every athlete is different every athlete needs to use his or her own strengths and in Bryson's case he was able to gain a lot of muscle he he hits for power he's very analytical which means he's able to not just like you said bomb it and slice it but to use everything to his advantage the the mental game and so that he can maximize his okay I hit it 400 yards but my next, but my next shot uh, with an iron is going to be accurate, so I can putt in for birdie or, or, or whatever. So yeah, well, what do you think about that? Well, two things: distance became a debate before Bryson. Uh, when technology started getting better and people started becoming to be able to hit further, people were like, "Is this fair?" My thoughts: Everyone's dealt the same hand. You either use it to your advantage or you don't. So if you want to use the technology that's on the table for everyone. To hit the ball further, I don't see why that's an issue. Now, if some player had a different club than somebody else and like was able to do something crazy with it, then I would say that's unfair. But if everyone's dealt the same hand of cards, technology will be improving. So we'll see in maybe 10 years from now, five years. I don't know. I don't know how technology is going to improve or the rate it's going to improve. But maybe par fives are now going to be looked at as par fours. Maybe courses are going to course designs are going to change because the average golfer is going to be able to hit 20 to 30 yards further. No, that tweet's ridiculous. Not only is it impressive to, you know, do what he has done, but he, that golfer has to realize that the body he has now put himself in is something completely different than what he had previously. That's a lot of weight to not only carry on your shoulders, carry on your back, but be able to move and rotate with speed is hard. Like (laughs) flat out, that is different than what he's been used to essentially his entire life, unless he was overweight, maybe younger. And I just haven't seen it, but the adaptations he has had to make to with technology, with the weight, with his diet, with his training. I mean, you see videos of him working at 11 PM at night in his little cage, you know, just bombing balls, trying to get faster, you know, using resources like Kyle Berkshire helped him out a lot. Um, Kyle's a good friend of mine now. And he said, you know, he works his ass off. So I think that tweet is almost coming from a jealous standpoint, almost. That was just embarrassing. I, you know, I, I, I fully agree. I think you took a lot of words out of my mouth and, you know, and I thank you for bringing your experience as a, as a bodybuilder to the table, because you understand what it's like to change your body and to train a certain way and how, how different that feels. And, 
you know, and what I would add, you know, what I would add to that is, is I think like for my experience in other sports, it, it definitely does matter when you're, when your body, when your body changes the sport, the, the example I'm going to use is I'm going to use two examples. One's niche because it's an MMA example and that's combat sports and that's niche. But the other one is hockey, which is less niche, although maybe still niche in America. I don't know. Uh, but, but yeah, so there's a, there's this legendary kickboxer and this mixed martial artist named Alistair Obreem. He has been fighting professionally since 1999. He's in his 40s and, and still until recently was a, a top 10 heavyweight in the UFC. Why do I bring him up? Okay, so he he's a 6'4 guy, you know, big guy, great shape physically gifted and he used to fight in the he actually used to fight in the light heavyweight weight class which requires you to cut to 205 pounds and uh, but most of his career he fought at heavyweight which is 265 pounds and there was a period of time where he bulked up even more and became a man that uh, combat sports fans know as uberim because he was like two he went from about 245 250 range to 265 like pushing 270, rock solid. He looked massive. Uh, later on, he was popped for performance enhancing drugs and never was that big again, but that's not why I brought him up. It's that he ostensibly got that big to gain power so that he would ha could have the most firepower in the heavyweight division. And he was a very talented striker, certainly had that. But one thing you noticed over time is that at that size, he became noticeably less technical. He used to be a very skilled kickboxer with more fluid strikes, more kicks, uh, and more, uh, more more techniques like that. And, and at that size, he kind of went away from that and he became more of a, I don't, certainly not rudimentary, but he's, he seemed to become more reliant on his power, I would say. And, then, and he wouldn't necessarily use uh, some of the technical striking in every fight that we would see earlier in his career. And so why do I bring him up? Just to say that, hey, if you, if you change your body, it's going to change your abilities. It's going to change your, your comfort level. And in every sport, that's true. And that's something that came to mind uh, for Bryson as well. So I, 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 would, I would agree with that. Second example I'm going to bring up is, uh, actually, what two guys, Shea Weber and Ryan Pulak. They're both NHL defensemen with really, really big slap shots from the point. Like Shea Weber, one of the hardest shooters uh, of this generation. And the Matthew Fitzpatrick tweet that we were, uh, I think, rightfully criticizing sounds like a five foot 10, 180 pound defenseman going, it's not fair that Shea Weber can, can blast at 105 plus from the blue line and beat the goalie without a screen. There's nothing unfair about that. It's, it's his natural skill. He developed it and he's able to use it into a weapon. And I think that to, to finish the analogy, there are lots of five foot 10, 180 pound defensemen on the NHL, in the NHL today who don't shoot as hard, but they're quick, they're fast, they're great passers, they're great puck handlers, they have great vision. And even though they don't have you know, a rail gun like Shea Weber does or Ryan Pulak does, they're able to be effective defenders using their mobility and their skill you know, and their intelligence. And I think a lot of golfers that don't have Bryson DeChambeau's distance and power are nonetheless very competitive because of their, like you said, their mental game, their, their shot accuracy, their, their putting accuracy. And so, yeah, all this to, I think, make sure the horse is dead it's a bad take yeah i agree completely especially mma fighters like i have such a the way they cut water and how much weight they're able to lose like i'm friends with one of them just like oh hearing his stories and then he would show me pictures like him before water cut him after before the weigh-in looked like there was no soul in him like you could look right through his eyes it was scary anywho <laughs> 
I mean, <clears throat> this is funny. Uh, we're actually uh, here on the draft floor. We're actually planning to do an, an MMA uh, episode or um, and a martial arts episode in the next few weeks. So it's funny our conversation turned to that. I mean, last thing I'll say before we, before we move on to our next topic uh, is that, yeah, as far as weight cutting, uh, if you want to see an extreme example, uh, go look up Go look up uh, two guys. Uh, first guy's name is Paulo Costa. He's a 6'1 middleweight, so he cuts to 185 pounds. But look up some photos, if you guys want, of him actually in the octagon. That guy is 220, 230 rock solid and frankly could make heavyweight and should be fighting at light heavyweight, but he cuts down from about at least 220 to about 185. And he's for some reason able to do it because he wants to maximize his power against smaller competition. Uh, it's like you said, Avery, it's absolutely ridiculous. Second guy, uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson, six foot two. He fights at heavyweight now. So he's in that like 240 to 260 bracket. Earlier in his career, he made, he tried to make welterweight, which by the way is 170 pounds. It's a nuts world out there. It's, it's ridiculous. And I don't, you know, I don't know. I, it, MMA is a sport that I have some interest in. So I just, you know, I, it came up, I brought it up because uh, it was relevant, but yeah, finally, to move on to our, our, our last topic uh, of this of this episode, this has been great. And I, I want to conclude by talking about Phil Mickelson, a 50-year-old legend of the sport who won a major, the, the PGA Championship, uh, a while back. I think it was a few weeks back. And in so doing, became the oldest player ever to win a major. Now, when I first read that headline, I was like, first of all, I was like, really? That's, that's possible? Because like, you know, in every other sport at 50 years old, I'm not sure even Tom Brady could be sticking around in the NFL until until 50 years old. And Tom Brady has beaten off father time better than any almost anyone I've ever heard of. And I was just thinking, oh, but at 50 years old, I mean, Phil, I'm sure he was in great shape when he was younger. I'm sure that he is immensely talented and obviously immensely experienced. But how was he at that age able to win this championship when younger elite golfers like former Masters champion Dustin Johnson got sent home early and it's so I wanted to ask you like you know what did you see in sort of Phil Mickelson's journey in that tournament and what are some of the things that ultimately you think uh helped him to overcome his age and pull this off which is immensely impressive I love Phil <laughs> flat out Phil has been one of my favorite players for so long not only the way he golfs but the way he carries himself on social media I've seen him in real life and the way he deals with fans he's funny he's not only a golfer to watch on the course but you know seems like a great guy and what I've heard is a great guy off the course as well that was awesome when he won that tournament that showed Every middle-aged man who loves this sport, who would die for this sport, who lies to their wives about how much they play the sport, that it is still possible and that, you know, there's always time. Like, you have never peaked when you think you've peaked. Yes, in other sports, maybe you have reached your peak. Maybe, you know, a 50-year-old hockey player isn't going to be a thing. But that showed every middle-aged man who even took up golf during the pandemic that it is possible. You know, he played great. And the way he, you know, even in the post round interview, he was like, I hit bombs. Like, hell yeah, you did. And I think he, he really wanted to prove to people that he could be that not even underdog, but he was a little bit becoming an underdog um, for a little bit in the rankings. And he wanted to prove to people that I'm still the shit. And quite frankly, he is. After that, he posted a video on Instagram that was just like, 
I just, uh, I don't know if you saw it, but just uh, driving to the club this morning, and I just wanted to, in case you forgot, uh, I won the PGA Championship next to his trophy. Like, yeah. and any other golfer who would do that, people would comment like, oh, you suck. Like, you're so, like, full of yourself, blah, blah, blah. But because it's Phil and the way he holds himself, and yes, he should be proud. That's a huge accomplishment, which is awesome to see. So, yeah, 10 out of 10 stars for Phil. <laughs> sure, for sure. And so going off that, what do you think is it about this sport of golf that allows such a range, right? For example, you have guys like Bryson DeChambeau, who we've talked about. He's a linebacker and he's got the biggest gun in the PGA Tour. And then you've got guys like Will Zalatoris, who are super lanky and, and skinny, but very skilled and you know, seems to be a very successful young golfer with a, a bright future. You have guys like Dustin Johnson, who is very athletic, but he's not got that raw size of Bryson. Again, extremely uh, elite golfer. You've got all these different body types. You got all these different body types and all these different approaches you could take in golf. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, uh, pardon me, Phil Mickelson can win a major. I think last year, I forget what tournament it was, but, you know, Bernard Longer, who's like 50 plus, he was outperforming 25-year-old golfers at, at, a, at a PGA tournament. So what is it about the sport that allows for such a diverse array of, of skill sets and athletic traits and even ages to, to come together and be competitive? What happens between the ears is everything. The way you look at life, the way you approach adversity and, you know, maybe even how you deal with what's happening off the course and how your relationships can affect your game and the mental strength you need to have to be good at this game is like no other to keep your cool and not let your emotions get the best of you is, you know, something in high school. Um, I wore my emotions on my shoulder, the way I would walk. My dad would be like, yeah, you're having a bad day. I could just tell, I don't even need to talk to you. I don't need to watch you swing. I could just tell you're having a bad day. Um, as I've matured and grew older and had more rounds under my belt, I don't let that happen to me. Maybe I get mad for like 10 seconds, 15 seconds. Maybe I'll get mad for a hole which even if I do that, I'm mad at myself after the round, like get over it. It's in the past. So the way these professionals allow shots and bad things to roll off their back and not let it affect them or uses it to fuel their fire going to the next hole sets them apart than any amateur golfer. So, so what you're saying is, uh, Cheryl Hatton who casually tosses his iron away after he makes a bad shot is, is funny, but maybe not the best approach on the course. Yeah, it being, that's just sad. Like, come on. And <laughs> I, I get, I've been really frustrated and I've wanted to do that, but you need to be able to reel it in and keep your cool because you got to also remember these guys are people to look up to for little boys getting in the sport. So you don't want people to develop those habits or, oh, they did it. I can do it kind of thing. You know, you really have to hold yourself to a high level and, um, you know, keep your cool, but it's, it's hard. It's hard, especially when you're competing for that amount of money. I can't even imagine the pressure. Like even my collegiate tournaments, I get, you know, hot headed sometimes and I get pissed at myself, but I can't even imagine. Yeah. That putts worth a million dollars. Like sucks. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I, I, I understand. Or I, at least, I understand theoretically, I would never want that kind of pressure on my shoulders, but essentially what I'm hearing and I'm understanding is that ultimately golf definitely requires athletic talent and physical literacy and you know, distance and explosiveness is great and shot accuracy is great. But one of the most important things and what it can be the great equalizer 
is your mind. And that if your mind's not right, or if your mind falters at the wrong time, it doesn't matter if you're three times or four times as athletic as your opponent, you'll start missing shots. And that'll lead you to miss more shots because you're, you're not able to recover. And if that guy's poised, even if he's 50, like Phil, he can come back on you because he's making the right shots at the right times. Yeah. I mean, sports psychologists exist for a reason. If everyone could do it, everyone would do it. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, yeah, and you know what? I just wanted to get to you some final thoughts in just a couple minutes on, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about this sport, uh, how intriguing it is physically, how demanding it is mentally. But I've also noticed that, you know, at, at least when things are going well, there seems to be the social side and the camaraderie side of golf translates seemingly well from a few friends going out for a weekend to even the PGA tour, because when you play in the same group as the, some of the same golfers, you will talk to them. Like, I don't know, DJ, DJ makes a good shot. And Bryson, if he's in the same group, might talk, you know, they might talk to each other. Hey, fist bump, nice play. And, and, and obviously after every tournament, you know, people, you know, they shake hands, there's sportsmanship, there's respect. And the fans, when they are there, seem to be a part of that, that uh, as well. And you can see it on the faces of pro golfers, what it means to have applause from fans after they finish a course, even if they didn't win. So yeah, what are your thoughts on that to close? Yeah, golf's a really interesting sport in that because every player is dealt the same hand. You know, like I mentioned, like everyone's presented with the same, if you're in the same group, especially, you're presented with the exact same conditions as your opponent having that sportsmanship is really important. Um, I think Gary player says you can't be a good winner unless you're a good loser. I really took that to heart because I used to be super competitive and envy um, girls I play with because, you know, they play better than me, but you know, at the end of the day, you just have to applaud them because it's, it takes a lot of talent, a lot of mental strength, like we talked about to produce some of the results that they're producing. So I love seeing, you know, a high five, like you said, you know, in the same group on the PGA tour and having that level of like, you know, you you're mature enough to say, yeah, that was good. Good job. In the back of your head, you should be like, yeah, well, I'm gonna do better in the next hole, but <laughs> you, you, it's good to be able to recognize the good in the sport. Definitely. And, you know, we, we hope that uh, you folks, if, you're hopefully still listening that uh, that that you that you guys really enjoyed this this episode and if, if you're not a golfer I I hope that this episode taught you a couple things like my internship taught me if you are a golfer or a golf fan then we we hope you certainly had fun here today hanging out with us but Avery thank you once again for for coming on the draft board and, and really bring your your perspective on something that definitely Tyson and I would not be able to talk about for very long on our own yeah, this was really fun and we, we would love to have you on again soon in the near future. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. All right, folks, for Avery Dosick, my name is David Song and we are signing off from the draft board. Thank you for listening to the draft board podcast music intro and outro is produced by graham bass your hosts again are david song and tyson workington come back next week for more insight from the rink the turf and the court see you soon